It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the weekly Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. Joined, as always, by Rick Broing. We've got some college basketball to talk about. Our friend Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com will join us. We'll look at previews for area teams from UC to Xavier to UK to NKU. We'll look at some different Final Four future odds and where we might put some money there. Some over-under win totals for each of the local teams and where we will go with that. But before that, we've got a lot to talk about from Bengals to the World Series to NCAA, to our weekly betting picks, in which I rolled it up last week. Hopefully you joined along. And as always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet. Rick? Skinny, the Bengals coach Zach Taylor announced on Tuesday that the team is benching starting quarterback Andy Dalton in favor of rookie Ryan Finley ahead of next week's game against the Baltimore Ravens. Dalton has been the starter for nine years, piling up a record of 68-58-2 during that time. On Wednesday, Dalton appeared to have to fight back tears while saying he was upset and disagreed with Taylor's decision. Dalton added that he wished the team would have tried to trade him to give him a chance to latch on somewhere else. Do you agree with the way the Bengals handled the benching of Andy Dalton? Look, man, it's like a breakup, right? There's never an easy way to do it. I mean, you can do it with a but post But there are note. better ways to do it than others. There are better ways to do it than others, but but look, I mean... I mean, first of all, it's this, the right decision, right? Uh, I don't know if it's the right decision now. I still think... Because here's the thing. They're talking out of both sides. He's Zach's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, exactly right. He is saying... Because he was asked about rebuild. We asked, we asked him Monday. We peppered him with... Or Tuesday about, you know, is this the sign of a rebuild? What are you going to do? Trade deadline still a few hours away. Is this a sign that you're going to make some moves? And he deflected all of those things. And in defense, I don't think he has the answer to them. Yeah. But don't tell me that this is not a rebuild and then say, we're still trying to win some games. Well, if you're trying to win some games, you're going to try with the veteran, right? I mean, you're going to, you're going to keep rolling the veteran out there and let him try to win the games. You're not going to turn to the rookie quite yet to do that, um, especially a fourth-round rookie who is, is still you, – you don't know a thing about him. With the bullets flying around, I think it's a risky move. I do think at some point this had to come. I, I'm not here to tell you. I think I, I always thought December was the perfect time. You give him a soft landing spot with the Jets. You give him another soft landing spot with Miami. You face your division rival Cleveland at home and away. How does he handle facing the same team twice? Because um, obviously then there's tape on him from, from those teams. And then he gets to face the New England defense once in that month. So you get to see him under real fires. That's five good games to me. I mean, I guess this is three games early. I don't think in the grand scheme it matters. But the way it was handled... I. I honestly don't have a problem with it. I feel for Andy. I get the emotions are raw. It hurts. It, it does. It understands. If it didn't hurt, then I really would wonder about Andy Dalton, right? I mean, you'd have to wonder about his competitive spirit. I've never wondered about that. I mean, he does come off as goofy and is all shucks and all that. But look, the dude's a competitor. The dude's been an NFL quarterback. It's not an easy thing to do for nine years. He took a team to five playoff games. He deserves a chunk of credit. But yeah, the way they handled it, could they have done it a day before? Maybe. I, I I don't think it affected. Listen, there were still three hours for the trade deadline. If there was a team out there, they'd have swung a trade for Andy Dalton. There just there weren't many suitors. And truth be told, I think they'll find more suitors in this offseason. With him having a year on his contract, some team drafts a young quarterback and isn't quite ready to play him from day one. Maybe he's your bridge for, for a handful of games, for a season, for a half a season. Um I, I think there's there's all of that. So I, yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with the way the way you phrase the question. No, I don't think I don't have a problem with the way they benched him. Maybe that's true. Maybe there wasn't a market for Andy Dalton. Maybe there were no trades on the table. Maybe no one wanted him. But how how can we believe that the Bengals actually did any due diligence and looked for any value? I don't. Because they've clear it's clearly been stated right. for three weeks now that they wanted nothing to do with trades. They were vacationing while the trade deadline was approaching. <laughs> I mean, it's just. I don't understand. You're, what you said to me that was most poignant was that they're talking out of the both sides of their mouth. Because on one hand, it's, no, it's not a rebuild. We don't feel like we should make other teams better. We're still trying to win games. On the other hand, it's, we need to see what we've got in this rookie quarterback. Right. What, what are we what? doing? What are we doing? Are we, if we want to go evaluate, I'm great with that. I'm fine with that. I want to see that. I'm interested in seeing Ryan right, Finley. It's the only thing worth watching yes. the rest of the way is yes. evaluating a guy like Ryan Finley yes. who hasn't gotten to play yet and he's still young. On the flip side, okay, so you want to say, we actually think Ryan Finley gives us a better chance to win because Andy Dalton's been better. I don't agree with that, but if you want to say that, okay. Problem is, you didn't say that either. No. You said Andy's been fine. He's been great. He's not the reason. We don't think we Ryan just, gives a better chance to win. We just need to evaluate we this guy. We just need to evaluate him. Well, then what are we doing here? What are we doing? I don't Wait, know. Th- this is what drives me crazy about a lot of professional franchises. It's not just the Bengals that do this, although right now they're, they're miserable and, and they're the ones doing it. And they're local. Teams always want to say this cliche stuff that sounds like the right thing to say that, 
No, we're not tanking. No, we're not rebuilding. We're always competing. We always want to win the next game. Next game is the only thing on our mind. All that, all the cliche stuff that is quote unquote competitive. It sounds stupid. Sounds stupid. We are fans are not idiots. We all want to focus on what's next. What what gets us to winning quickest? And I would think as an organization, that's what you, you need to look at the macro of. We're, it's not just about winning a game or two this year. And listen, I get. I don't want to lose every game as a player, as a coach. I want to go try to win games. But the macro of it is, what are you going to do to fix the overriding issue of this roster? And what are you going to do to make this better in the long-term moving future? Not for the last eight games of twenty of a lost 2019 season. None of that. Look, you win three games. Good for you. I'm happy you guys won three games. You can feel good on three after three Sundays. And that's great. I'm, that's all well and good. But three and 13, seven and nine, six and 10, what does it matter if you're not going to the playoffs and you're not heading in the you're not heading in the direction of of being a playoff team because you to choose not to do anything to make yourself better? That's the part that I think is the most frustrating. And I'm sure that's how they view it. I'm sure in the front office they view it from a macro perspective. And do I don't they, I don't think they view it as a, well, I think they view it in the short term of we just need to win some games. Oh. People people are going to really fall back in love when we, when we beat the Jets on on December 1st. The fan base is going to come back. No, they're not. I don't I don't re- now there may be a Brown who's in charge or something that actually legitimately thinks that way no i don't they, think they, they think they, Rick, i don't I'm tell, think i'm telling you they all they care about is winning some games I, I whatever it takes to win those games in that particular season that's what they they I don't care about saying, the macro i get what you're saying and we say that stuff about the brown family and i get it's fun to say i don't believe that's possible i think someone at i mean zach taylor has to know my roster sucks it has to get better i'm it's not, not what he said this year it's not I, what he said well right because we've given him numerous opportunities but, but come on every coach all professional teams say that cliche BS. The problem is most of them are better and they figure it out quicker so they don't have to say it so many times like the Bengals do game after game after game after game after year after year after year. The thing is, I I, I get Zach Taylor. He's not, as a coach, you're not rolling your guys under the bus, right? Right. You have to say But there also has to be somebody then that comes out ahead of, that's above him and says, listen, we are going to rebuild and and here's how. And And we don't have that that, person. That all goes back to what we've been talking about for weeks now. Who's in charge? And we don't know. We don't know. And And that's issues with the Bengals. But I do think someone inside like Zach Taylor at the very middle whoever in charge is sipping Swiss Miss cocoa somewhere over in the Alps they have to know their roster stinks and it needs to get better I don't think they knew that someone has to Zach Zach Taylor at the very minimum has to know his team sucks I hope so he has to so what I'm saying is quit saying this cliche nonsense that means nothing and makes you sound like an idiot and like you have no clue what you're doing in in press conferences because I'll tell you what it's gonna get your ass fired quicker than anyone um well I don't know about that I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I don't. I'm done talking about the Bengals, honestly. I, I'm with you, Rick. I, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate with you. No, I, I know. I, but I've, I've been through this enough times. I've watched it for 30 years. I've watched it. I, I, it's 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 the most frustrating thing. And as a as a fan, it feels like you're being held hostage by the most stubborn, ass backwards organization that's ever come along. That's what it feels that's like. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. And I think fans, they the the thing that just amazes me is this. This fan base wants to love this team year in and year out so much. Anytime they have a modicum of success for a year, a handful of years, they are all in. But then it's like, again, it is literally Lucy and Charlie Brown. Then the football gets pulled away from you again. And eventually you go, shame on me. Shame on me for pouring my heart and my funds and and my life on a Sunday into this when it's never going to change in the long term. Can we have a pocket of a few years of winning and playoffs? Yeah, but in the long term, no, probably not. Um, This is the fifth time since Mike Brown took over in 91 they've started 0-8. That's hard to do, man. Almost they've impossible math. Five times. Five times. It's insane. And you think you know what you're doing? You don't. So stop acting like you do, folks. Put someone in charge who does. Until then, your fan base is going, going, and about to be gone. Well, and that's why, I mean, again, I think Zach Taylor will get fired quicker than uh, like Marvin Lewis did because... Well, because the, 13 years in. the fa- Well, but the fans aren't the fans are already gone and they're not coming back right now. Like, there's no hope but, around the corner. But no Marvin new, had hope around the corner. Right, but no new coach is going to change that. I agree. What, what, what needs to be demanded now from the fan base is get me a bona fide football person in charge and I want to know what the message is to fix this. I want to know it today. I don't want to know it in the all. I want to know it today. People have been demanding that for years and as you've pointed out it's not changing so yeah. that's why I honestly think Zach Taylor is going to be fired sooner than later 
because I, I think this thing is just going to come. Well, if it's me, I'm going to, if I'm a coach in that spot, I'm going down swinging. Me too. I'm quit, scorching quit the earth, looking bro. like an idiot. Quit saying all the company lines for the Bengals and, and having their back and defending them. Call them out on their BS. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Because part. you're going down either way. Yeah, I'll give you that. All right, Skinny, we'll stay with the Bengals for one more topic, begrudgingly. Oh, goody. Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green said following his participation in Wednesday's rainy practice that he's hoping to return for the team's first game after the bye and after not getting traded by Tuesday's deadline that he hopes the team doesn't place the franchise tag on him following the season. Quote, for me, it would be an insult, Green said, about possibly giving the franchise tag. It's my second deal, so I'm getting older. No, I'm not into a one-year deal that comes along with the tag. Give me a long-term contract or just let me go. I just feel like the franchise should be eliminated if you are five years in. They franchise you. That is an extra year or two of people not going to give you a long-term deal. I don't like it. I hate the franchise tag. I hate the rookie scale, the fifth-year option. I hate all that stuff. Skinny, what do you make of A.J. Green's comments about his contract situation? That they're far apart in contract negotiations. Um, And he has zero desire to come back. Um, I think he does have desire to come back with a long-term deal. Um, But I also think this. I think the Sons of Guns are going to slap the franchise tag on him. I really believe that. Of course they are. And then, you think his ankle hurts now? Wait till you see how his ankle hurts next year. And I, 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 this is not a swipe at A.J. Green by any stretch. Um, he, I, shouldn't I, play, he shouldn't play this year. He should not I, come back. I don't week. think they... We've talked about this. I don't think they should pay him. I don't. But you should have done the right thing here at the deadline and Straight dealt up. him. It's the simple, easy, right solution. It's the only solution. Explain to me what franchise tagging him does for the Bengals. Um, What it does for the Bengals? Yeah, how how in the world would that help the Bengals to franchise? Well, you'd have A.J. Green for another year. For one year. That that, you're going to be 3 and 13. That's exactly right. And paying him a ton of money because you have to pay him. The average of the top five. Right. Yeah, that's a that which 18, he's going to be making around that money either way. Eighteen million ish is right. what it would cost. Yeah, what's the is, look? I would slap the franchise on AJ Green if this was the case. Again, the same reason of keeping him. If he was the last piece to the playoff puzzle, that look, man, this team's three and five. But you wait till AJ Green comes back. That's the only piece we're missing right now. You ain't missing just AJ Green, man. You're missing AJ Green and about six defensive players and three offensive linemen. You are in a partridge in a pear tree. You are a long way away from that. If he was the last piece, I'd sign him to a seven year deal for every dollar he wants. I yeah, wouldn't maybe care that too. What the money but even was. that, even that, I would even say I'm okay if you slap the franchise tag on him for next year. If that's what looks like the last year of maybe the window of opportunity, he's so far away from being the last piece. No, exactly. Now, he did say we wouldn't be 0-8. <laughs> I can't remember how it came up, and he was he was pretty good with us yesterday. He said, I think somebody said 2-6. and six. He said, I just know we wouldn't be 0-8. <laughs> so uh, he's probably right, but okay, what's the difference between 2-6 and six and 0-8, and right? I yeah. mean, in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, I, this is not going to end well, I don't believe, because if it ends with the Bengals signing him to long-term money, then you just threw money out the window for no reason. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, if for some... None of what they do makes any sense. I'll say this. If he, for some reason, gives them some type of, like, hometown discount and they get him at not premium money to stay, I don't think it's necessarily... I don't think that's happening either. Oh, it shouldn't. It definitely shouldn't happen. But that's the only way in which the Bengals come out of this and don't look like complete idiots to me. No, I agree agree with you. Franchise tagging him is the dumbest thing they could do. Yes. It makes zero sense. Zero sense. There is zero plan in place if you franchise tag AJ Green this year. I completely agree. And that's exactly what they're going to do. But to me, this is all along. He's been saying that the team that drafted you is going to appreciate you more than anyone else. I'd love to play my whole career with the same team. That's always been a thing I've thought about. Now, all of a sudden, it's I hate the franchise tag. They better not franchise tag. That sounds like a guy who's changed his tune a little bit. Well, I think it's also that that they're they're not close in negotiations. And he knows that that's a possibility. And I don't blame him. I, I wouldn't want it either because he's right. All it does is kick the can down the road another year. And so let's just say next year, A.J. Green, eight games in. Hurts himself again. Or Ryan Finley's throwing passes to him and throws a slant to him in which he gets destroyed. I I, I get his part. I don't I, I the Bengals in all this make no sense. How this comes out makes no sense. Because here's the here's the only thing that's gonna happen. Either he walks as a free agent, which means you got zero for him when you could have gotten something for him at the deadline. You resign him for stupid money that you you don't need to throw at him because you have other pieces, or you franchise tag him, which again you're throwing some pretty good money out the window for that year, and you're pissing him off. And you have, so tell me what the win, tell me what the win is in all this. There is there's none to be had really, unless he decides I'm going to sign a stupid contract because I love Cincinnati, want to stay that, here. That's, and that's not going to happen. No, that's not. Gonna Why happen. would it? I, I I wouldn't want to be back here if I were AJ Green. 
it's so mind-boggling to think about the fact that every NFL GM essentially reached out to national columnists and reporters and everyone else. Well, and so did AJ Green's agent. Trust me, that's where a lot of that stuff came from because they are they, they they were looking for something. But see, that's why I go back to I think he's changed his tune because I think a few weeks ago he was being told by his agent. Yeah, say nice things about the Bengals because we're going to be out of here in yeah, a few right, weeks. Right. You're going to get traded no matter what at the deadline. And now all of a sudden, A.J. Green realizes they're not not—they're going to franchise tag me. They're not trading me, and they're not going to give me a bunch of money either. I'm going to get franchise tagged. It just finally hit him and his agent. Yeah, you, you may be right. And that's what this was. I guarantee you that that's what's going on here. Because he held court for a long time yesterday, and A.J. usually, it's, to his credit, he will speak with us when need to be spoken to, and he's very cordial, and I enjoy the relationship with him. But when he wants to hold court, and remember after that Houston game where he held court and basically it got Ken Zampezi fired, and rightfully so as the offensive coordinator, um, when A.J. speaks, you better start listening. And he spoke a lot yesterday. Um, Bengals, you better start listening. Oh, wait, it's too late. The trade deadline came and went. Bingo. Skinny of the Nationals beat the Astros 6-2 Wednesday night in Game 7 of the World Series to capture the organization's first title. Steven Strasburg was voted MVP after he went 5-0 with a 198 ERA and five postseason starts and one relief appearance, including victories in Games 2 and 6 of the series. What was the most memorable part of the 2019 World Series for you? Well, I wouldn't say it was Howie Kendrick's two-run opposite field home roll. That was a big part. That gave him the lead for good. I wouldn't say it was Steven Strasburg's performance, which was spectacular. Speaking of spectacular, however, I have to go to my two young ladies that showed Garrett Cole the goods. That was my most memorable part of the 2019 World Series. Rick, how about yourself? Uh, I mean, is there, an- is there another part? No. Like <laughs> there really wasn't the, the umpiring, the the call down on the on the on the play in game six with the guy running down the first base. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Look, like the whole the whole uh, Bryce Harper storyline is fun. Yeah. Like all that stuff's great. The fact that Nats were nineteen and thirty one about where the Reds were, and then look what turned around and won it. The Nats turned around and won the Dave Martinez, former Reds player, winning the world. The, no, 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 the no, fact no. that they do win a no, home no, game, no, the no, fact no, that the first no, team no, to win no, the same no, jerseys no. in every game. No, none no. of that really caught no. my attention. The way those two young ladies did when they just dumped the girls out with who was Garrett Cole on the yes. mound trying to pitch. He has to call timeout. I don't – I mean, I know things like this have happened before, but, like, the only live situation that I can remember that was made this big of buzz that was, like, you know, public nudity live on TV was, like, the Janet Jackson Super, right, Super Bowl, Bowl thing. Right, right, And I know, like, there was a, there was a couple streakers maybe in famous football games. That oh, yeah, there, that, that was a big thing in the 70s. You, yeah. get, you get the guy on the field, even baseball games, they come on the field streak. And it was, it, was, it, was, yeah, it was a big deal. It was, it was harmless, but it was it was a big deal at the yeah, time. But we, well, we, there were a lot of games on TV back then, so. Well, it made it more difficult. Yeah. We, we've gotten so good with the broadcast, too, that it's a lot of times hard for those things to actually be seen on camera. High definition, brother. But these girls were right behind home plate. Uh, first of all, how hard do you think it was for them to get into that seating area. No, for them, they, no. Do you think they needed seats? No. 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 Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, it's, it's got to be a good life. Would you like to come sit with us? Sure. That was, like I said, that, that was my most memorable moment. Apparently, this is like what they do. They, they have a Patreon account that people subscribe to and pay like $10, $15 a month to just to see their, wow. their goods. But they're like essentially uh, Instagram models that take it a step farther. Let me just give you a hint. There's a lot of free stuff out there. I'm just going to give you a hint, people. You, that's that's the most insane part of this to me is not that we saw boobs on live television during the World Series, but that I found out that there are a ton of men apparently paying these girls enough to make like 100000 a month on just seeing their boobs. That's that's a lot of free stuff. A lot of free stuff, Skinny. It's a lot of dopes. That's a lot of people who yeah. are dopes. I think I think there are weirdos out there that like to feel like they're a part of something. I I, th- like I think they're I, I do think there's some truth like that's to that. their team or yeah. something. You know, I mean, like they root for that, that set. Yeah, that set. I yeah, like it. That's what that's I said. Their set. I like that. All right. Uh, switching gears once again. And, and again, we are going to break down college basketball. Preview college yes. basketball in the second half of the podcast this week. That's why we're going national before our betting picks. Uh, but we're we're gonna, betting picks into the college basketball preview. Exactly right. But right now we're going to talk NCAA. And student athletes will be able to benefit from the use of their name and image likeness, quote, in a manner consistent with the collegiate model, end quote. And that's an important phraseology there, my man. After a unanimous vote by the NCAA Board of Governors on Tuesday, the board member said in a release Tuesday that all changes should make sure student-athletes have the same experience and ensure that rules are, quote, transparent, focused, and enforceable, and do not create a competitive imbalance. The board wants each division to implement new rules by January of 2021. Skinny, what do you make of the NCAA's decision to allow student-athletes to benefit from the use of their name and image likeness? That they really did nothing, that kicked the can down the road and hoped that this goes away, and it's not going away. 
That's the, the lawsuits are still out there, and they asked. I think they asked at least the North Carolina people to, to withdraw the lawsuit, and they said, "Go pound sand." And I don't blame them. Go pound sand. It, look, either you're in with this, or you're going to have to go to court with this, and you're going to lose this in court. You know, and that's you know you're going to lose this in court. So all you're doing now is you're just saying, well, "We don't have to deal with it now. We'll deal with it again in 2021, and then we'll deal with it when the lawsuit comes out, and hopefully the cans kick down the road for four or five years, and then we'll do it. Come kicking and screaming. That, that's yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, there's nothing better than seeing the NCAA trip over themselves, and the only time it really happens is when they find themselves tangling with the law because they. When it comes to the NCAA and college athletics, they're autonomous. They oversee everything. They're God. They're above everyone else. Whatever they say, they can do until the law gets involved because they don't supersede the law. And the issue is all the states figured out we can just force their hand. Yes. We'll create laws. We'll sue them. We'll do whatever we want in our state. And they'll be forced because you can't have different laws in different states that, or different it, rules in yeah, different states for the NCAA. Yeah, that, that, therein lies the, the, the issue is, as it stands now, not every state has filed something. Eventually, maybe every state does, but maybe they don't. So that's where the NCAA has to say, listen, we got to make this uniform so it, we can't let California have a, have a, a, a leg up on Kentucky right. or Ohio or North Carolina have a leg up on South Carolina. You, nor should you allow that to take place. So just... Just stop kicking and screaming with this. It's not your money they're taking away. Stop worrying about it. Well, and the NCAA would be smart. It's not asking member schools. We're talking, the good thing, you're not asking member schools to pay anything here. You're not. No. This is just go making off of Jimmy Joe's car dealership. He wants the first string quarterback to be a spokesman. Have at it. They're sharing a slight opportunity to profit, basically. They're, they're maybe giving away the potential for some right. slight, slight ad revenue that they're giving to students. And again, for most students or student athletes, this is going to amount to maybe a summer job. You got a thousand bucks. Yeah, I think that's fifteen hundred bucks for the year. I think that's the question of where this where does this this go? Yeah. Does literally does does Alabama win out over Oklahoma for star quarterback because Alabama quarterback is now going to be the spokesman for Jimmy Joe Chevrolet? Yeah, I hate to tell you that, Chief, but they already do. Well, I know. I mean, I, like, I, I, uh, tell, tell me who Alabama doesn't get. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I'm just saying that's the that's what people the, are the worried about. Of, yes, in their minds. Um, but really, in terms of like, we're talking about one or two percent of NCAA student athletes that'll actually profit in a way that people are worried about, yes. where it's like, oh, that's big money. And it's like, they'll have a real job. The guys who are like that are like Zion Williamson, right? Guess what? A Gatorade deal while he's still in, in college isn't making him stay in college longer no. than one year. It's really changing nothing. Other than um, putting some money in his pocket, which yeah. he should. In terms of competitive balance, it's really not going to change that much. The thing about the NCAA situation here is they'd be smart to, it's not getting out in front of it because you're already behind the eight ball you're here. Way but, behind it. But get, get in here and control as much as you can of this in the right way because them doing this and basically saying in a way that is approved by us and in a, a manner that what? doesn't affect competitiveness and all, the, all these quotes that they're adding to it that mean nothing, that means we're going to tell you what you can and can't do is a bad idea no. because once the states just say, screw you, we're doing exactly what we want. We don't care what you're, what you have planned here. We're just going to sue you for exactly what we wanted to do in the first place. You're going to have no choice of the NCAA because you're going to lose out. And then all, and then it's going to be open for all the states to do the same thing. Yes. And then you're going to be done. And you're going to have no control over where that money went or how you could regulate it or anything else. You might want to try to regulate the one or two things you can regulate now before it gets too far away from you. If you come up with a really good plan by April, you may have a chance to control this thing. If you don't, it ain't going to matter because it's lawsuits coming whether are, you like it or not. The lawsuits are coming. Whether, yeah, the lawsuits are coming whether you like it or not. And it's going to start going like wildfire from state to state to state. Yeah. Now, there is so much that has to be worked out here in terms of how it actually works, how it's implemented. Um, you know, we were talking about it last time, like, you know, California, part of their law is that they won't be able to sign deals that conflict with deals the institution already has. So if you're a Nike school. Which I school, think is garbage. Yeah. But if you're a Nike school, then the kid can't sign like an Adidas contract. Well, then guess what then? I'm going to an Adidas school. I mean, I, I, see, I, that stuff to me is garbage. Well, that's, that's all garbage. And that's some of the friction it's going to create then. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to school where I can get but, the but contract you, but you, I want. You, you cover AAU basketball. I mean, a lot of that is he's a Nike kid going to a Nike school because Nike has funded some of that. He's an Under Armour kid. So where's he going to? Under Armour school. I that happens already. I think a lot of that gets blown out of proportion, but it does happen. Yeah, it sure does. It does happen for sure. Um, and it's going to happen more, I think, with this. So there's a lot they have to work through. Um, a lot of people are saying a lot of things and making a lot of prognostications based off of 
really no facts. I mean, we don't have much information right now about how this is actually going to work. I just don't know why it's so hard to let a kid make money. Unregulated. Yeah. I mean, essentially, What's so hard make about what, that? You, what you're worth. Yeah, that's uh, that's capitalism at its finest. You would think. I Go don't. I really don't think this is tough to figure out. I don't The either. NCAA continues to drag their feet. No, they just want to put control. their thumb on it. Yeah. Listen, I, I amateur sports is a fallacy is what it is. Yep. I mean, it's a fallacy. And, and so they need to stop living in that fallacy. Let's just let... Let them go make whatever money. Again, the, the the key part here is initially it was well the schools should pay them. Well, schools can't get into that. It's never they, happen. Right. So let's just take the schools out of it. Let the schools do the business the way they're doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. You're we're not we're not going to touch that part of it. But that shouldn't factor into what the kid's doing or what the kid makes. It's silly. The bigger the bigger deal here that's happening for me is that the NCAA is allowing these kids to now work with agents and like PR firms ahead of time. I think that's really going to help speed this once we get to the point where the colleges aren't trying to deal with this stuff themselves right. and like a kid can just sign with an agent exactly. or with a PR company here in Cincinnati and they handle Jaron Cumberland and Trayvon Blewett and Jay, like anyone that's worth it big time here in college athletics in Cincinnati agreed one PR firm or two PR firms is going to handle that's probably going to be when we're to the to a point where this all makes sense and it's logical and the kids aren't you know being de- not too much time is being demanded of them to do photo shoots or advertisements or anything like that. I think that's how this ends up playing out, but there's still a lot of gray area to be decided. All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting picks. Got a lot of teams on buys this week. A lot of teams on buy. We've got UK, Ohio State, and Miami of Ohio all on buy in the college ranks. Um, and then we also have the Bengals, of course, on by when it comes to the NFL ranks. By the way, by 13, Bengals 6, in case you're wondering. that's what I, it's, I, I think it's. I think there's a line of two and a half by. I've got by. I, why wouldn't you have by? I've got by, yeah. And I've got the under as well. Um, Skinny, last week you killed it. You were 11-3, and three, which moves you to 64-52-1. and one I made up a little ground on you. Overall. But you had a good week. I was 9-5. and five. Yeah, we'll take it's it. a solid week, plus three and a half units. 69, nice. 47-1 and one for me. And that takes us into Saturday at 7 p.m., our only college football game this week locally. The Bearcats are at East Carolina, and the Bearcats are giving 23 points. The total is 47. Yeah, coming off the bye, the last time they did this, I think, was what, the Marshall game, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Uh, well, at least one of them. They've had a couple, and they, and they went and smoked, smoked Marshall. Smoked them, yeah. Um, it kind of feels like where this is going. East Carolina's bad. Um, UC probably, it feels like their bye has come at the perfect time twice for them, just to kind of take a breath get reorganized. They didn't play great against Tulsa. Um, yeah, I, I'll go UC. UC 37-13. So the Bearcats by 24 and the over. So I got UC in the over. So they just cover. And they what? and it goes over by a three. Yeah, I'm, I'm just below you there. I've got UC 35, ECU 13. Um, so that makes ECU just covering Ooh, wow. the number, just barely, wow. and the over. That's just a re- 23 is a really big it's number. A re- it is a big number. It's, I mean, because it basically requires UC to either shut ECU out or score over 40 points. And I don't know that the Bearcats are going to do that. Yeah, I don't either. That, that's for sure. So apparently the, the, the bells and whistles liked your pick right there. That's the bells and whistles pick of the week. That was Vegas calling, calling me and saying I owe them from last week, I think. <laughs> Thursday night, we've got uh, one game, obviously, on the docket, as always. The 49ers, 10.5 at the Cardinals. Total is 43. I'll let you go first in this one. All right. I am going to take the 49ers here. I like them to cover this spread uh, pretty easily here. 28-10 is what I'm going with. So Ooh, 49ers wow. and the under uh, gets to 38, which is five below that total. Yeah, I think Vegas is trying to overinflate the Niners a little bit here. Um Arizona had played pretty well leading up to the the Saints game. They played a good Saints team on the road. They're back at home. I think Arizona's played played pretty well. Now some of it is they didn't play. Played the Bengals and they played the Giants. Yeah, they've been playing. Crappy uh, they've been teams playing some crappy teams. But I I think the Niners get a little overinflated here on the short week. That's a lot of points for me. It feels like if you're going to give double digits on that short, like kind of like that Minnesota and Washington last week was a huge number. Obviously, way bigger than this, but that was never a sweat of a cover to be honest with you because it's just that short week. I'm going to go. I'll go Niners twenty one sixteen. They still win it, but the, it goes. Uh, I'll take the Cardinals comfortably. In fact, this is one of my picks of the week. I, I really like the the, the Cardinals here. Um, and the under is pretty comfortable. So we're both under for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, it, you're you're getting past that key number of 10 up to 10 and a half on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's a scary line to take the 49ers. I'm still going with it because I think they're going to kick the Cardinals' ass. I just don't believe in the Cardinals. But in terms of actually just playing the number, you're on the right side of this one for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's under. Sunday night, 820. We've got the Patriots at Baltimore. Patriots are favored by three in that game. The total is 45. 
gosh, I'd really want to take the Ravens because I'm starting to believe more in them. Um, you know, they they they've they've they keep proving me wrong. I thought this was a maybe a 500 to sub 500 team, but they, to their credit, they know what they are, they know what they want to do, they have an identity, but they still feel fairly one dimensional. Yep. Um, and granted, Lamar Jackson has improved as a passer, but can he beat you as a pack? Can he beat a good team as a passer? Um, and are you going to beat this team as a passer? I think the Patriots make them one-dimensional. I think their defense is too good. Um, the Ravens' defense is okay, um, but it's it's not good enough to hold New England down. I'll go New England 23-17. So New England and the under for me. Yeah, I, I think most of what you said is right there. I just think Belichick in this defense is going to wreak havoc on Lamar. I could see him turning the ball over multiple times in this one. And again, I will said, they score again? Will New England's defense score I've again? I said it every week. Play Take the other. New England and the other. It paid for me three times That's now crazy. already this season. Incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I've got Patriots twenty seven. Ravens 14. So oh, wow. Pats and the under. Two touchdowns on the road almost. Wow. Yeah, I, I just I think this Patriots defense is just ridiculous, and I'm not as much of a believer in Baltimore as you okay. are. Okay. Uh, that brings us to our Monday night game at 8-15. It is Dallas at New York. The Giants are the underdogs here. Cowboys are giving 7.5. 47.5 is the total in this one. Yeah, this feels like I'm going to get suckered in because I'm going to take the – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the Giants cover, but I don't think they're going to win. I – I think the Giants, now that they got Barkley back and they've got Golden Tate and and Daniel Jones, he's making some strides. Um, you know, they 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 really did a good job battling in, at, at Detroit. Still lost thirty one twenty six. Their defense is a sieve, but I think they're good enough offensively to hang around. This feels like not quite a shootout, but a little bit of a back and forth offensive game. I'll go Dallas thirty twenty four. So I got the Giants and the over. I I like the Cowboys in this one, which. Looking back on this is not good because I have now taken three road favorites I know, in the NFL. That's which hard. Is never a good idea. Although the road teams have been really good this year, it's been incredible how the road teams have, have actually won outright in a lot of occasions. They have, but a lot of those have been underdogs. Yeah, too. Some of them have. Underdogs yeah. have done yeah. well. Um, but I'm going to take the Cowboys here 28 17. So that's Cowboys and the under in this one. I'm with you on the Giants. I do think they're better. But that Cowboys team. It feels like they... That win over Philly was big. They were struggling there for a couple weeks, and it feels like they finally got over the hump here and and are starting to play a little bit better. And they're coming off a bye, so I'll give you that part of it. Get a few guys healthier. Um, uh, I I just... uh, I don't know. On the road on a Monday night, a lot of energy. uh, Giving seven in the hook is to make me a little squeamish. All right, Skinny, let's transition into college basketball. It's the start of the season. Teams will kick off the season officially on Tuesday. They're playing their exhibitions this week. Xavier played last night. NKU played last night. UC will play their exhibition tonight. And with us to break down the Bearcats is Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com. Chad, UC, everyone is talking about new head coach John Brandon being there. But aside from just the fact that they have a new head coach, what is the biggest storyline in your opinion? I think it's going to be how how he uses Jaron Cumberland, how he utilizes a guy that many are projecting to be a, a second team, third team, even some have seen first team All American. Uh, how does what is what does Jaron Cumberland look like playing for John Brandon? Um, is he handling the ball more? Is he spacing the floor as a as a wing? Is he playing a small ball four? Does John use him, you know, throughout a game in all of those roles? I think that's the interesting thing with Jaron is his versatility and the different things you can do with him on the floor because of his basketball IQ and his ability to score. Uh, so what John does with Jaron and, and how he utilizes him, uh, is he a guy that, you know, you know he's going to score, uh, but is he now a guy that's going to average maybe five, six, seven assists a game because of more possessions and maybe better spacing on the floor in John Brandon's offense. So just seeing how that, that plays out, and I think it's going to be something that what it looks like next Wednesday against Ohio State could be vastly different than what it looks like in mid-January in conference play. So uh, I think the relationship for those two is uh, how it works is going to be fascinating. Chad, when Bearcat Madness happened a few weeks ago, they made the announcement that Jaron Cumberland was out with an injury. What's the latest on his health, and how much do you think him being out for a little bit during the preseason affected that transition to playing for John Brandon? We're in the trust tree here, right? Yes. You guys aren't going to tell anybody if I tell you a secret. <laughs> yeah, no one will know. He, he had a bunion cut off his toe. 
That stinks. Those those are painful though. Yeah, that can hurt. I mean, yeah, but it's he didn't have some like debilitating injury or you know a, a high ankle sprain, anything along those lines. He had a he had a small and actually it wasn't a bunion. This is my favorite part. You love the skinny. A bunion is on your big toe. You know what's on your little toe? I always thought they were all bunions all, all told. What, what, what is it? A wart? A bunionette. Oh, my. You don't want to be a tough guy and look like Jaron Cumberland and have a bunionette cut off of your body, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so, hold on. He's fine. Chad, are you saying that he's not going to redshirt? <laughs> because of the, bun- uh, yeah, because of the bunionette? Be okay. Yeah, he'll survive yeah, the bunionette. He's been back at practice for a couple weeks. I think he's gonna he's gonna manage. I think he's gonna be okay. Yeah, you you touched on on what what role he will play. I, obviously, when Mick Cronin before he left was talking about utilizing him more at point guard to try and help him maybe play at the next level. I know that's not always a college coach's concern. You're trying to win games, and I get that. But you mentioned how much will he maybe be on the ball? Do you think that John will give that more of a 50-50 shot or will it, when push comes to shove, it's more Jaron off the ball and playing in different roles rather than having the ball in his hands? Um, I think a lot of that's going to depend on Chris McNeil. I, I know from everybody I've talked to around the program and everything I've seen and heard, Chris McNeil has, has maybe been the most impressive guy throughout the offseason in terms of giving them, you know, more than what they expected. Um, he's been a great leader. They put him, they're putting him up in front of the media already uh, as a spokesman for the team, basically. And his play on the court has been really good. So if you're getting that from Chris McNeil, then you can allow Jaron to be a little bit more of a scorer and play off the ball. Um, but if, you know, if, if they're having issues at point guard, and you have Jaron Cumberland on the roster. Guess what? Right. And you're going to have Jaron Cumberland play some point guard. And I think, you're, uh, you're, so I, think I think you're, yeah, I think your point earlier too is is once you get into conference play, maybe it is you just got to have the ball in Jaron's hands as much as possible. I, we could very much get there, uh, but I do think that's determined. It, let's say Chris McNeil becomes a a ten, eleven point, twelve point a game scorer that's shooting, you know, mid thirty percent right. from three and and handling the ball and running the show. You don't have to use Jaron in that capacity a whole lot. Now you'll use him some probably when when McNeil gets a breather, but uh, I think that's what's going to be. You know, when I said it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out, Chris McNeil is a huge part of that because if he stabilizes the point guard position for this year, then this offense has a chance to be really good because you've got Jaron Cumberland, you've got Keith Williams, you've got Javon Cumberland, you've got Trey Scott. If you've got a point guard that can facilitate amongst all those guys. Uh, then Cincinnati looks like a, a, a team that can really be dangerous this year. Chad, if something were to derail this season for the Bearcats, what would it be? What's your biggest concern right now heading into the season? Uh, obviously, I think it's it's post-depth. Po- you know, what are they going to get in the front court? Um, you've got Chris Vogt, who got eligible after transferring from NKU. You've got Jay Sarola, who came from Valparaiso. And, and Mamadou Diara, uh, along with Trey Scott, but really those are the only four guys you've got down low. So, you know, you don't have a lot of fouls to give. You don't have a lot of, of versatility unless you go small. Uh, and I'm sure we'll see that at points in time as well, just based on a numbers game. Um, but I, I think, you know, we'll get to see it firsthand on Wednesday night because you're going up against Caleb Weston who is one of the better low-post scorers in college basketball, how are they going to be able to defend him? Are they going to have enough you know, muscle down low when they face a team that's got a legitimate back-to-the-basket score, a legitimate low-post threat? Uh, what does Cincinnati look like in those situations? Because for quite a while now, you know, it, they've been very good there. Nazir Brooks last year, Gary Clark and Kyle Washington before that. Uh, they, the post has been a, a strength for Cincinnati over the past three, four, five seasons. Uh, and this season, you know Trey Scott's going to be solid. You're, you're really unsure what you're going to get from everybody else. I think that's easily the biggest question mark. All right, Chad, we've got a little over-under win totals for you here. The Bearcats were 25-6 and six last year during the regular season. So, again, it's just regular season. 22 and a half wins. Are you going over or under that mark for the regular season? That's, that's a good, right that's exactly a good number on the line where I'm thinking. I, I'm thinking 23 and seven, but 22 and eight would not shock me at all. 
I'll take the over, but very reluctantly, because I think they're going to be right about at that line um, as they try to figure out early in the season, you know, what what John Brandon's system looks like with a, a completely different team. I think there'll be a bump or two in the road, and then I think winning on the road the American Conference is going to be a lot more difficult for Cincinnati than it has been in years past, uh, just simply because I think Wichita is going to be good, South Florida is going to be good, UConn should be better. Uh, Houston, I think, is is clearly the favorite to win the league. And then you've got Memphis. It's going to be difficult getting through those five or six games, Temple on the road, uh, with you know, without racking up three, four losses. So I'm going to say I'll go over 23 and seven, but I could easily see 22 and eight as well. Chad, la- lastly, um, I would assume. An NCAA tournament berth would be the goal, and anything less would be a disappointment, right? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a, a preseason All-American, you've got to put yourself, got to find a way to get yourself into the tournament. Um, but, but what they can't do, they can't afford. You've got four shots here in November and December. You've got Ohio State and Xavier on the road. You've got Iowa neutral, and you've got Tennessee at home. You've got to find a way to get a couple wins. And if you can get a couple wins, then you're you're in great position as you head towards conference play and, and earning a berth at the NCAA tournament. If you're one and three or zero oh and four in that stretch, mm. it takes a little longer to get this system implemented than than ideally. They, you know, now you're looking at having to go on the road to a bunch of big games uh, in, in the American Conference and have to win a large majority of those games. So. Uh, the early season's going to tell you a lot, but yeah, it, this this can't be a team that that misses the NCAA tournament with with Jaron Cumberland as the lead man. I can't imagine that's even a, a, a thought process in anybody's head at this point. And that's Chad Brendel. Check him out, BearcatJournal.com. Chad, will be joining us here in a few weeks for Sunday Night Sports Authority, and we'll get the uh, Skinny College Basketball Podcast rolling. Absolutely. All right, guys. I'm going to go run some sprints and then shoot some free throws when I'm tired. Yeah, make sure you do it when you're tired, though. Yeah. Always, as Please always. Do. Basketball season is back. <laughs> See you, Chad. We'll talk again. See you, guys. Let's continue with our college basketball uh, preview, Rick. Let's touch on Xavier. So I'll, I'll flip the script to you now. For those that don't know, you run Musketeer Report. Most people do know that. Um, you're a big part of our, our special here at Local 12 uh, that aired last weekend, the Xavier special. We now, I was a part of it. You were a big part of it. You were a pretty big part of it. You were in two segments. Maybe That's in pretty, wait. It's a pretty big part. I had my two-minute cameo, so there there we go. We were, we were all good. I was. I felt good about Didn't my... Didn't have Trayvon Blewett in the top five. Crazy. What, you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, let's do it. You, you don't you don't agree with that? I I think it's crazy not have Trayvon Blue in the top five. Yeah. Um. I so uh, whenever you do these things, as you know, you have to do it by era, and and that's why I, yeah. I think your argument stands up. And you have yeah, I mean argument. the thing when you do this, and you know this, somebody's always the six. So who do you kick out of the top sure. five? We're not kicking David West out. We agree with that, correct? Right, We're course. not kicking Byron Larkin out, correct? Definitely not. After you not, that, you, you can you, kick out any of the next three. I can't kick out Tyrone, Tyrone Hill. Would I, be the one I'd kick. I out could personally. make the argument of Brian Grant out before I could make the argument of anybody else. All Steve, three of them. Uh, Trayvon Blue is better than any of those three that you have. Uh, Steve, yeah, again, Steve Thomas different here, obviously, in the six, mid-60s. Yeah, really averaging, averaging 30 and 28, that's still getting some buckets. I don't care what area you play, and that's still getting some buckets, right? It, it certainly is. I mean, he's playing against NKU when they were a community college, but yeah, that is. <laughs> that's not entirely true. They played Dayton twice a year. Dayton High School? No, 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 no. All right, let's go. Uh, let's touch on, on Xavier. Um, your biggest storyline. I, I know a lot of people want to talk about what the newcomers are going to bring and the depth that they're going to have and all the things that they wanted last year and didn't have and everyone thinks they'll have this year. To me, it's not about that. It is about the guys we saw last year. Tyreek Jones, I think you know what you're going to get out of him for the most part. He's is little, there upside still to him, too? Because yeah, I, th- I thought he took is. huge steps last year. He's still getting better. I think he's taking another step forward. I think In we, what regard? I mean, we always say that. In what regard? I think it's mostly just consistency because for him, he was, he was all physical ability right. when he came and he's gotten his body into great shape he, he's in even better shape than he was last year and last year he made a huge change in his body um, and lost a ton of weight but he's really really athletic but aside from that he's just 
he wasn't a great finisher or a guy who really knew how to score when he got to Xavier. He continues to add to that, and he's getting much better with his footwork in the post and just his patience. Because he's not, I mean, he's and, only 6'8", so it's not like he's the giant guy in the post. If he's 6'8", I'm 6'4". Well, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah he's like 6'6". You know right, and, and so he's got to use the physicality of his body. And his athleticism, yes. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but he's gotten much better at learning how to play and, and learning how to use his feet and position himself and all of that. So that's where I would say he's gotten better. And I think the difference you'll see is you saw it last year. When he was at his peak, he was really, really good and all confident level player but there were some games where he faded or he didn't have a good matchup for whatever reason I think you'll see less of that this year that's where I think you'll see him take a step forward the other three guys though that are returning though the main guys Najee Marshall Quentin Gooden and Paul Scruggs to me that's the storyline for this year because those three guys returning are the reason this team is picked to be you know top 20 in the country by most polls it's the reason people expect this to be a tournament team it's the reason people have them in the top three uh, of the Big East heading into the season. So those guys last year weren't good enough to make Xavier even a tournament team. They didn't change their skill set. They didn't change their game. You you hope they got better incrementally, but they're not different players all of a sudden. And what type of players they were last year wasn't good enough. So to me, that is the storyline. Are but they I, I, good I, enough right, I think they're talent. I mean, obviously, Najee Marshall's a talent. Paul Scruggs is a talent. Quentin Gooden's a talent of course but the consistency level for all three was not there i, I think they i don't can, know i think they can improve that with i think it's year. more than just consistency and that's okay. my concern okay here's well, the issue so, so yeah what more is the, it the, the parts have to fit together for a team and those three guys that we just named are as talented of prospects as we've seen come to xavier in terms of their ability their physical attributes um you know they are they are special prospects but when you stack all three of them together on the same team and they're all expected to be your kind of main guys. The issue is none of them are shooters. None of them are particularly high. Scruggs, Scruggs can shoot it. He's okay. He's passable as a shooter. And I, he's told not you, I'm a not, shooter. I, I don't think Najee Marshall's best game is as a shooter. I think it's still as a driver and, and hopefully is. that gets through his head. Yeah. And you hope all of them shoot better, obviously than they did last season, but none of them are knocked down three point shooters. None of them are high IQ guys with great feel. I mean, Paul Scruggs, even though he played a lot of point guard in high school, the big knock on him was, Hey, he doesn't have great feel. He's kind of raw. He gets by on playing hard and being athletic and, and just producing because he's tough. And that's kind of what you have in all three of those guys. They just kind of got by on athleticism and producing and being tough. And none of them had great feel or IQ. And I think that's the issue we've seen with Xavier's offense. We saw it last night in the Indianapolis scrimmage. A defense that, quite honestly, they should have dominated physically, but in Indianapolis packed it inside of 15 feet, said, we dare you to shoot. We're not even going to close out on your shooters. And Xavier would pass the ball around the, the perimeter casually, take good looks from three, but they're not a team that can knock down three-point shots. So if they're willing to just sit there and do that again all year this year, it's going to be another long uh, non-conference season until they dig themselves a hole and have to scrap their way back out of it like they did at the end of last year. And they did that too little too late. <laughs> it's funny. I asked you your biggest storyline. It sounds like this is your biggest concern. It sounds like it's all wrapped into one it, one package, right? It is. and But to me, that is the storyline because those guys have to get it done. I think everyone else wants to make it about, well, what they bring in? What, what can they compliment? And I get it. Th- that matters. But at the end of the day, you're going to be playing with your starters on the court more often than not. And unless Jason Carter is going to be like a 45% three-point shooter, you're still not going to have a yeah. knockdown bona fide shooter on the floor. I do think the reason people look at that is because last year, the the complimentary pieces, other than than Hankins, just wasn't very good. I mean, Wellage right. wasn't very good. And um, I'm drawing a blank, the kid from Columbia. Castling. Yeah, it wasn't very yeah. good. I mean, so, so the, the other parts, it really, you were... You were so reliant on on the three or four guys night in, night out, every single solitary game with very little help in addition to it. That I think that's the excitement level for fans to see is, hey, there's at least maybe now a sixth, seventh, eighth guy to look to on occasion. And I think that's that's definitely the case. And I think those guys will help. And I understand why everyone's excited about what those guys could do, because I do think they'll bring more than the, the complimentary pieces did last season. However, if those core four can't get you going and can't get the offense rolling, it's not going to matter. Those no, backups aren't yeah, going to make I mean, the difference. On any team, I mean, whatever, whether you're Kentucky and you got 10 of those guys, you still have you know five main guys usually, six main guys, whoever it is. Those guys got to perform. I mean, you can't all of a sudden go, we're going to win because our 8, 9, and 10 are better than your 8, 9, and 10. No, if they're five or better than your five, <laughs> you're not winning games. So I, I get that point. Yeah, and then we've just, I guess my only, my only thing is I do think they will be better, and I do think this will be a good team. However, a lot of people just seem to gloss over the fact they're just like, 
well, Xavier got all four of those guys back, so they're going to be great. And it's like, well, those guys were not good enough last year. Did you think, though, as the season went on, and sometimes it's out of desperation, sometimes you just get on a roll, did you think they meshed better as the season went along? They definitely did. A lot of it, though, I thought was they, uh, they finally got it through their heads that they have to scrap and fight for everything on the defensive end, and every game was going to be ugly, and the offense wasn't going to be there, and attention to detail was of the utmost importance to them, and they couldn't take a playoff. And when they played like that for about four or five weeks, whatever it was, they were a pretty good basketball team. Not not great, but Can you do that good. for four months? That's my concern. And do you, do you realize it to start this season the same way you found out midway through last season when the coach has been screaming at you for three straight months and you were desperate and everyone told you you stunk? And, you know, no one expected you to win a game. You found a way to do it. Can you do that to start the season when you all have NBA aspirations and you're all thinking about your future and everything else? That would be, like you said, it's kind of uh, the biggest storyline and the biggest concern to me all rolled into one. I'll tell you, Xavier was two for 25 in their secret scrimmage from three-point range. And it was Leighton Trand and Daniel Ramsey, two guys who are not going to be playing that made the two. They're not going to be playing until the end of a game of a blowout either way. And then last night... They were six for twenty six against Indy, brutal. wow! Um, and they started. I think it was like two for thirteen or something from three. So, again, there are major concerns. They're not going to be a better shooting team out of nowhere. So they have to find ways. I thought Quentin Gooden in the second half last night took it upon himself to become a playmaker and force the issue, and not force the issue in the sense that I'm going to drive into trouble and then get caught and turn the ball over, but find a way to, I'll beat my man with the idea that I'm making a play for someone, yes. whether that's myself in the middle. And mid-range. I think he has to do that constantly, and Every I think he's play. capable of doing that he constantly. Is, because he's such a freak athletically, and two of the finishes he had last night were absurdly good. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's the light bulb that goes off for him, and that's the that's what we talk about. You, you think you can do it some? No, you can do it a lot of times, and maybe that's the light bulb moment. All right, let's get to the over-under for wins for Xavier. Set at 20 and a half. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, last, the league ain't any easier. It's a little bit lesser, but it's not much easier. See, I think the league is a little bit tougher. What they do have the benefit... Dep- depending on where Seton Hall goes with its situation. True. I think the benefit Xavier has this year is their non-conference schedule is a little bit easier. So you might be able to to get through the non-conference with only one or two losses potentially, even if you don't play all that well. Right. So I think they'll have a little bit of a head start this season. Which could also roll into confidence. It could. And and that and I think they need that. I think that'd be really good for them if they can get this thing, you know, win nine straight to start the season or something. That'd be that'd be really good. I'm gonna go ahead and say they get twenty one wins. I think it's going to be right around that number. Um, the, the 20 and a half was p- put there for a reason. The good thing about college basketball lines, not every sports book has them, but you can shop around and get these lines at pretty different different things. I saw some at like 23 wins. I saw some at 20 and a half. I haven't even looked so, at that. So, so you've looked at some of the... the I've tried to, yeah. but it's hard to find and not all markets have right. every team. Um, for instance, like in New Jersey, Seton Hall can't be on the book. Right. So Xavier was like only plus three fifty there. They were plus five fifty at another book for um, to win the Big East. Have you looked local? Have you looked at Hollywood? Um, Hollywood did not have Big East odds last okay, time I not, checked. Okay, okay. Now they might now. Yeah, right, now that's closer right, to the season, but right. last week they did not. Yeah. So um, definitely shop around if you are going to do the the win totals. Yeah, I think they go over the twenty and a half too. I. I I do. Maybe I'm the the one that's looking and going. Man, the pieces back. I like a lot. I thought they meshed as last year went along. I like the additions. Um, I don't think they go nine and nine in the league. I think they go eleven and seven ish. Maybe twelve and six ish. Maybe that's pie in the sky. And I think you're right. The non league they should they should uh, storm through for the most part. So yeah, I think I'm going over twenty and a half wins for for this Xavier team. I, I like them. I, I like the potential of it. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying that you or other people who think this team is going to be good are wrong because I put myself in that group. I do think they will figure these things out. I do think those those but your concerns co- are fair. Yeah. But yeah, but I think there are more concerns than some people are letting on. All right, Skinny, let's uh, switch gears to Kentucky. Obviously, the Wildcats are picked to win the SEC this year. They've got a lot of freshmen coming in that are talented, but they've got a little bit more returning than they had in years past. I think. What's the biggest storyline with this team, in your opinion? Who becomes the offensive go-tos? It felt like last year, anytime they had a go-to moment, it was P.J. Washington, right? I mean, they, they played a lot through P.J. Yeah, Washington. Yeah, you had the Tyler Harrow or Keldon Johnson game occasionally, occasionally but it was but, usually P.J. that was kind of the consistent I, mean, I just go back to the Seton Hall game. It felt like it was P.J. Washington versus Miles Powell. It felt like a one-on-one game broke no, out on each other before, and it pretty much was. Um, and there were other games where, where it was, hey, you got to play through P.J. in the post. In fact, when Kentucky struggled, it was, why aren't you playing through P.J. in the post? Well, you don't have that now and you do have a lot of great pieces as Kentucky always does I think this team the one thing I think this team will do I think this team will shoot it um and really last year you had Tyler Hero and what else to shoot it I think this team will shoot it so I think that's a positive moving forward 
Who do you think is the most likely candidate to sort of step up and push to the forefront in terms of a scorer? Maxi, maybe. He he seems to have the alpha in him, certainly. Yeah. He has the ability to score. Um, I know he's not a scoring guy, but I do think Ashton Haggins is going to play such a a big role for this team, and his defensive pressure is probably going to be able to to create some points on offense. Right. That I could see him being kind of the driving force for this team in a lot of ways, but I don't know that he'll be like the go-to scorer. He's certainly not going to be the guy, hey, it's end of the half, we need a bucket right now. He's not the guy you're going to give the ball to. That's an interesting question is who is the guy that, like, Game's on the line. Who are you drawing up a set for? And it always has felt like there's been that guy for Calipari. There's always, sometimes there's been multiple guys for Calipari, but it always feels like there is that guy. And I'm not so sure who that guy, I'm with you, I'm not sure who that guy is. Now, the flip side is, we've seen some Calipari teams of late that don't shoot it very well. Like Tyler Hero does, maybe a singular guy does, but not as a group. I think this team has that potential to, to shoot the ball, so maybe a little bit different. Now, is he going to be wedded to playing? a little bit different, too, because he does love to play through the low post a lot of times, right? Right. And I don't know if he's got that guy. Nick Richards, is he that guy? Yeah, I don't know. I think Nick Richards is going to have a big year. I've heard good things. I mean, I've not been good things about what he has done leading up to the season. I mean, physically, yes. the kid just has every tool you would ever want. He was raw when we saw him in high school in AAU, but he always was able to produce and do things against t- other talented guys. I'll believe it when I see it against good... I, I, don't, I won't believe when I see it against the Vermonts and right. the, who I, I need to see it. I need to see right off the bat on Tuesday night. Yeah, and that's fair. I completely understand that you want to see him play against Michigan State and actually do something. But I think a lot of people have written him off because he's been through two years and you just don't see yeah. Calipari guys last that long. But big men are different. And they a lot are, of times right. they take longer to develop. No, it, it, the, I don't the, think you, you know this. Big men are one of two things. You're either one and done ready for the NBA guy or you're slow developmental guy that's going to take four years to finally reach your peak. Yeah, and I, I think he's a guy who still has some potential. I don't think he's just a guy who's never going to get it. And Dougie better hope so, that's for sure. Yeah. Like the, the win total set at 24 and a half. It seems high, um, but where are you going with it? I'm going to... I'm going to say they go over. I am too. I, I, I mean, it just, one, it feels like they're always in that mix. They get rolling early in the year, then they get that confidence going. In the SEC, it's almost like being a dominant high school in the area. You know how everyone feels like they're playing the other jersey? Right. It's like, you're not even much, you're about the same team as them, but they're Covcath, or they're Highlands, or they're St. X, or they're yeah. Elder, or they're more. That's how UK is in the SEC. It feels like a lot of teams just sort of roll over and give them games. And, and honestly, last year the SEC was really, really good. Auburn was really good. Uh, Tennessee was really good. And I know people are saying they don't think the SEC takes a, as big a drop off as it feels like, and I'm gonna I'm disagreeing with that off the top. You know, I mean, we we mentioned a few weeks ago that we didn't think there was another team. Florida is pretty good. Florida's I pretty do think good. Florida is a legit top. But last 10 year there team. were five or six. Where Kentucky went on the road to five or six teams, you're like, ooh, I don't know if they can beat them on the road. Yeah, I mean, Auburn, Tennessee were both really talented and and had experienced guys too that had been through right. wars. You don't have quite that level of experience or talent on a lot. And LSU, of those teams LSU this came year. in to rub and beat them. Yeah, and LSU's pretty good again right. this year, but not. But not I just I don't think the year. league is what it was last year. I, I thought agree. the league had a great rebound year to where okay, this was the SEC of the of the of the nineties through the mid two thousands, right? Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden it was dropped off the map, and it was Kentucky, and who the hell else is close to Kentucky? Well, last year a lot of teams were close to Kentucky, and as good as, if not better than Kentucky. I think the script flipped a big time this year. Yeah, again, I, th- I think Florida's right there, and I think you know a couple other teams, LSU being one of them, will give them a game on the road. But for the most part, I think they're going to roll over a lot of the SEC. So I'm going to go over. I'm going over as well. All right, let's turn to your team, the NKU Norse. Uh, new coach, Darren Horn. No Drew McDonald, player of the year, and just meant so much to that program over the years. Um, had a great had a great run, two NCAA tournaments, and NIT because they won a regular season championship. That's about as good a three-year run as a mid-major can have, right? I mean, you don't get it a is. whole lot better than that. But the cover's not bare. So I'll ask you, what's the biggest storyline? Obviously, the new head coach, no Drew McDonald, but what's the biggest storyline for you? Yeah, I think it's it's obviously you're factoring all those things together. But along with that, I think it becomes without Drew, how much like Tyler Sharp looked like an all-conference player last year. He had so many big games. He was kind of their go-to guy in a lot of those games. Sometimes even when Drew couldn't get it going, Tyler Sharp ended up being their star type player. Jalen Tate is the most talented player in the program and was last year, and and he can carry them at times as well. So I think without Drew, do Tyler Sharp and Jalen Tate just sort of take on a bigger role and do more of what we've already seen from them? 
Or does it all of a sudden become a little bit harder on those guys when you don't have defenses gravitating towards Drew and trying to double in the post? And Drew is just such a unique offensive player, too, because he could get you in the post, but he could also be a trail a trail guy on the break and bang a three. He could also step out and bang a three. I mean, he just was a unique offensive player. In the NBA, they talk about gravity a lot with guys like Steph Curry, meaning they pull the defense towards yes. them. They all have to help over, and they shift the entire defense. That's how Drew was. Guys would dig down on him, and then so he's such a good passer, he kicks it out. Now the defense is slow to recover, so Jalen Tate has an extra second to drive through the lane, or Tyler Sharp has an extra foot off to get a shot. My question is, without Drew there attracting a lot of that attention, do those guys still do everything that we've seen from them in the past and more of it? Because they'll need more of it now that Drew's not there. That's the biggest question. Aside from that, there is some depth concerns. They've got a lot of pieces, but they're relying on a lot of guys who didn't necessarily contribute in a big role last year. Losing Chris Vogt changed what their front court looks like completely. Completely, yeah. So now you're relying on a guy like Silas Adeki, who just really didn't have much role at all last year. Um, and his starting is probably going to start. Yeah. And he played mostly mop-up minutes last year, occasionally, you know, big D1 a high major type center that they needed his size and athleticism for. They'd play him for a few mop-up minutes, but that was about it. And now he's going to be playing meaningful minutes. Some of the other younger guys, you know, freshmen that are now sophomore that didn't play a big role probably need to step up this year. So those are probably the bigger concerns is what do the depth pieces look like? Yeah. Now in their win over Transy, they played him in an exhibition game on, on Tuesday night um, or actually, excuse me, on Wednesday night, one seventy one forty five. They played, I believe 10 guys, at least eight minutes. Now that sometimes that's just exhibition game. You're trying to get different pieces and see, but that also makes me wonder, is that what Darren Horn wants to do? Does he want to play that many guys that many minutes? Two guys played 30 minutes. Everybody else was, I believe I'm doing this off the top of my head, 28 minutes or less. So that seems like he's trying to trying to at least run numbers at you and maybe affect you that way. Well, it's that or it's he needs to figure out who are my guys right. in that rotation right. because he doesn't know who those seven through nine guys are, you know, and that's I, that is one of my concerns is do you have anything after the top four or five? Yeah, it's funny for both Xavier and for NKU. When we asked you about the biggest storyline, you wrapped the biggest concern into it, which that is kind of the storyline for both. Right. Yeah, I think I think to me, the biggest storyline is how do your two stars sort of play without, without Drew McDonald. McDonald right. The concern is, do you have anything after them? Yeah. Because I think they're good enough in the horizon to be the best team in the horizon league, but you need some depth pieces to go with you. All right, the over-under for win totals for NKU is 20 and a half. In the non-league, they're really two tough games are at Missouri and at Arkansas. Um, we'll see what they're made of, certainly in the Missouri game, because it comes uh, comes next week very early, I believe Friday of next week, the 8th, uh, Arkansas a little bit later in the month, and you never know what you're going to get with Arkansas. I mean, it's not the Nolan Richardson Arkansas that we all remember, but I still think Arkansas to Arkansas will be pretty difficult. Other than that, I think their non-league's fairly doable. they got some max on there at Ball State, Miami, um, two teams I think they should be able to compete with. Uh, you mentioned in the horizon, I think they were picked second behind Wright State, but everybody always picks Wright State, so that, right. that's fine. Over under, over under 20 and a half, I'm going over. Yeah, I mean, we feel like huge homers here because we're saying over for all these teams. But but I like all I like all four in different ways. And when you look at the coaches' polls in the conference, they're all picked to finish really high in their conference. Right. There's a reason for that. Yeah, I think NKU goes over. I would have had more concerns about a new coach, uh, a team losing its best player, and them gelling early in the season. But as you just mentioned, their non-conference schedule is not very difficult. They're going to win no, almost all those games. Yeah, so. Max schools will be difficult. Let's face it. Still, Max, yeah. Max, Max. Let's face it. Mac is a hair hair better overall, top to bottom, than the Horizon by yeah, far. But so. they also have two non-division one teams yes. at home on no, the schedule. That's, so that's, that's that's true too. A couple guaranteed wins there. You would think it all gets underway on Tuesday. It feels like it just it came out of nowhere to some degree. And how about that for a doubleheader though on Tuesday night? Not bad. Not bad. I mean, you, you got you got the you got the top four teams in the country squaring off on back to back games games in the same venue that's a pretty good way to start college basketball absolutely do you have any futures picks you want to get in it, here it, no it's funny you say that because I, I i was trying to i'm trying to find a dark horse this year i mean the, the texas tech kind of came out of nowhere but i could see somebody putting money on them on a future book at some point right yeah last year yeah. um xavier's plus 1600 meaning 16 to 1 16 to 1 correct uh, cincinnati's 19 to 1 or plus 1900 Tell you one that Sporting News made a case for, and I didn't read through the whole piece, but it was 17 reasons why this team is a great dark horse candidate to win because it fits 17 different criteria, including where you start in Ken Palm, uh, a certain player you have to have coming back. I can't remember if it was a scoring guard, something along those lines. And I think it's one that's on it's on your list here, and it's what I'm going to point to. And the only reason I'm doing it is after reading part of the piece, I went, all right, if I'm looking for a dark, look, it's easy to throw some money on Duke or Kentucky or Michigan State or Carolina, but there's not a lot of value in, in that, Right. right. Maryland, 
just based on that piece, I, I, I'm going to probably have to go put a little bit on Maryland just because I, I want some value. Did they forget about coaching? I know. Yeah. Mark, Turgeon, Mark, Mark Turgeon just seems to not get the most out of Maryland yeah, on a yearly think? basis. But they're all, it's funny they're on this list. They are. I'll and, tell you, and, I, and, and, the, and the author made a good game. Look, I like logical cases, right? He's trying to – and sometimes it's just – but it was one that said – I take it back. It was the last twenty national champions fit this these seventeen criteria. And granted, you can go. I think one of them was you need to have a six foot guard who averaged such and such points last year. That's you know you're finding some minutia in there, stuff, right? Sure. But, but I liked it. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So here's the funny thing that they're plus four twenty five. Uh, the two other teams on that same line with them, Florida and Villanova, are actually the two teams that I might point to. I think Florida is a bona fide top 10 team. I think Villanova, top 15 team that has some upside. And both of them, to me, have much better coaches than Maryland does. I like both of those teams at plus 425 to, to have a chance. What, what about, you got Memphis on the list. I think they're very small from an odds perspective. It, you don't, I mean, they're either going to be great or... Or a five-ring circus. Yeah, see, they don't interest me at all at plus 325. Right. There's just not enough value there. I don't think they're a legitimate threat. to, to I, I think Memphis and This is has, not to win it all, by the way. This is just to get to the, get final, to the final four. four. I think Memphis has just as good of odds to blow up and be a disaster as they do to be a Final Four team, to I, be honest with you. You got Xavier on here. Again, it's 16 to 1. You see it 19 to 1. That seems fairly low for both, to be honest with you. But if I gave you 100 bucks and said you got to put it on one of the two to make the Final Four, and based on the value and the odds, where would you go with it? I'd go with Xavier just because they have more. I'd, I'd go with UC because they've got a guy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's... Fair. I think Xavier's going to be a better team, and I think head-to-head they they beat them when they when they match up, but if you're asking me for value, a guy like a Jaron Cumberland, you've seen it before, right, can carry you to... He may not be able to carry you all the way to a title, but he can carry you to a Final Four. Yeah, I, I don't know that he has enough around him to do that. Maybe they not. They don't have post No, maybe not. Um, and I just don't see a lot of scoring and talent around them. I, I, I don't know. I think you is a you, solid I'll, team. I'll, I'll I, don't, the, I don't think they're a Final Four team in any scenario. I'll give you the 100 bucks, and you can put it on Kentucky at, at, at plus 125, which is not great value. But you can put it on Kentucky, Xavier, or UC. Under Kentucky. Okay, all right. Yeah, all I mean, right. I think you still have a decent chance of getting you, some money you want, out of you that want one. Ca- you want to cash? Yeah, I don't think... <laughs> you, you feel better about at least cashing, right? I don't think either Xavier or Cincinnati are going to be Final Four teams I don't, this year. I don't either, but... Um, if I had to pick between those two teams, I'd probably go with Xavier instead of Cincinnati, but again... If, if it's between the three, I'm just going to put the money on Kentucky and, and take my chance. I think you feel better about that. I'll tell you what value I do. I do not like Gonzaga's value at plus 375. I just don't. No, I don't see that one yeah. either. I, I'm going with Maryland. I'm going to put some money on Maryland. I'm going to, I'm going to see what they've got down at the uh, the Hollywood. All right, Rick, we got a lot in. We thank uh, our guy Chad Brenner from BearcatJournal.com. Don't forget, uh, coming up in probably uh, late December, early early January, we will start our uh, college basketball podcast on Sundays at some point when the Bengals season ends officially. And it's ended for me almost officially, but uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. So, again, thanks to Chad Brendel. Uh, appreciate you guys listening, as always. As always, it's the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. And, as always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet. <laughs>